0: It's now time to turn back the clock and catch up with some old friends of A's past, exclusively on A's Cast. This is Where Are They Now? Vince Catronio sits down with alumni of the Oakland Athletics to reminisce and discuss current adventures. Here's Vince Catronio. It's a pleasure this week on Where Are They Now? to visit with Dan Otero, A's right-hand reliever from 2013 to 2015. He broke in with the Giants, ended up with the Cleveland Indians. A lot of things have been happening with Dan since he left the game. There's a lot to get to with his time with the Athletics. First, Dan, I got a chance to catch up with you recently in Seattle. You've got a little bit of a a Major League Baseball hat going on. What are some of the responsibilities you've got uh, for MLB?
1: Yeah, Vince, uh, it was great seeing you the other day, and thanks for having me on. Um, It's always nice seeing old friends from uh, the Oakland days because that's where I really had my first uh, success in the Major Leagues. Uh, But currently, uh, after I finished my playing career during the – COVID pandemic era, which I think a lot of people probably um, can attest to, um, I was able to uh, get a position with the Cleveland, uh, now Guardians front office, um, which was a great uh, transition to uh, this side of the game post-playing and it really exposed me to a lot of different things in the front office. And then after that, or during that time, actually MLB approached me about a position with the commissioner's office in their on-field operations department um, so now I'm doing that, and I really enjoyed him. Getting to work with uh, a couple other former players, uh, Raul Abanez, uh, Rajay Davis, another former Oakland A, and uh, Gregor Blanco, and uh, I played with in San Francisco. So it was a, it was a really easy transition working with them and uh, really enjoyed it so far.
0: One of our close friends in Oakland, Dan, is uh, David Feldman, who's one of the better official scorers in baseball. He works both the A's and the Giants. and so uh, well-versed on all the rules of the game, and he says, you're on the... the uh, official scoring committee and he said there's been some some fun engagements going back and forth on that what what has that been like for you and uh, seeing that side of it and and either trying to fight for the player or the pitcher or or vice versa uh
1: yeah that's definitely a very cool uh, part of the job it's one we take very seriously because it does affect players numbers and their uh you know their statistics and which is obviously as we know baseball is a game of numbers so anytime a player. Disagrees with the official scorer they'll send an appeal in and we get to look at the play uh we we try to look at it you know through that individual play and not really give credence to fighting for the pitcher or fighting for the hitter um, we try to take every play as its own entity but uh i think we definitely have some fun with it with our comments in the sections and try to you know give some lighthearted humor but uh we definitely take it very seriously um it has been eye-opening, looking at plays through a computer screen as opposed to necessarily on the field. So we definitely value what the official scorer initially calls because they're the ones at the field, you know, looking at it from the game speed. So we definitely try to use, you know, their judgment and their explanations of what they did. Um, And we really do appreciate all the hard work they do at all different stadiums.
0: Your style on the on the field, you were a ground ball pitcher, so you yeah. know that you needed the defense to 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 do the job behind you for you to be successful. So I'm I'm just curious, how much uh, have you enjoyed just watching, you know, from afar? I know it's through a computer screen, but just the understanding that there are still some really really good athletes out there that are playing amazing baseball right now in 2022.
1: Oh, absolutely! No, it's uh, it, it, it almost blows my mind every time I see plays now, and I kind of. I'll watch baseball kind of through a lens of sometimes the official score and I'll see a play made. I'm like, oh man, that was a really good play. Now was that a routine play with ordinary effort, you know, by an average position <laughs> at the big league level? Because um, you do get plays and when they're not made, they look a little funky, but then you see all the routine plays that players make and they make it look with ease. It's it's remarkable what players at this level can do. And it's not by accident, they put in such hard work. and. You know, I love getting to the field early and watching pregame and you really see how much work these players and coaches put in on a daily
0: basis to really hone their craft. Dan, when you were on the baseball ops side with Cleveland, first of all, as a player, you're were, you were always uh, an inquisitive type person. Uh, you, you wanted to learn about other facets of the game and that's clear now as you've moved to the next phase of your life with your family down in Miami. But I just wonder when you went to baseball ops with Cleveland. As much as you knew about baseball, how much did you learn about baseball?
1: I learned a lot of different things about baseball. You know, as a as a player, you're so singularly focused on your own career, your own daily routine, and then you're worried about the team winning and losing. And I was fortunate to play on some winning ball clubs. So every day you come to the field, it was like, okay, how can I help the team win? And when you get into the baseball upside you you do worry about the day-to-day but you're also i learned you're looking at a you know five to ten year sustainable growth model you know for the organization how can we build something to sustain longevity you know in this organization because you know players have five to ten year careers if they're really lucky so you have to find a way to evaluate players and it was fascinating i really did love it and now on this side of things it's even you know, more holistic because I'm looking at the game from a bird's eye view and um, not necessarily even through an organization.
0: Let's go way back to the college days, Duke and South Florida. You were a senior sign, but how important were those days with the Blue Devils and things that you accomplished on the field and, and things that you try to expand yourself with off the field?
1: Yeah, the college experience was unbelievable. You know, I, I uh, had the pleasure of going to the MLB Combine. Of- Few weeks ago, and I met with a lot of prospective draft picks, whether it be high school or college. And I remember being in the in those shoes and just being excited about getting the opportunity to go pro. And I I'm so thankful I did go to college because I don't think I would have been ready as an 18 year old out of high school. You know, you just grow as a person. Like you said, it's not just on the field; it's off the field. You know, you learn how to juggle academics with athletics, and then the you know the occasional party off the you know off the off the field. Um, so, But on the field at Duke in South Florida, it was a, just a really cool learning. It was really great for my learning development on the field because I got to face some really good players that all had, you know, that were able to have major league careers and playing
0: some good conferences. So you're drafted by the by the Giants out of South Florida. You actually are on the opening day roster in 2012 with them. And then things got a little wacky in spring training of 2013. You're claimed by the Yankees. One day later, you're claimed by the athletics, so...
1: He's been unbelievable. I mean, the most versatile guy we have down there, you know, as we talked about last night, one-plus. You know, even in the game when Kasner got thrown out, he comes in and throws, I believe it was three-plus. He's economical in his pitches. He's durable. Whoever's not available on a particular day, he fills in on that role. So there aren't too many guys like him.
0: Remind us of what those 24 hours were like for Dan Otero from thinking you with one organization to suddenly... Finding out that there's there's a lot of states between the cactus league and the grapefruit league if you're up in the air on a on an airplane.
1: Yes, you learn the business side really quickly when you go into this DFA limbo uh, status. Yeah, I was pulled off the field. I'd actually already been sent down from big league camp with San Francisco, so I was on a backfield at uh, the minor league complex. Got pulled off by the minor league director Fred Stanley, and he was like, uh, "You need to talk to our." you know GM or assistant GM Bobby Evans at the time and he's like you've been claimed by New York um you're gonna fly you're you know you're going to Tampa essentially so the GM of the Yankees or assistant GM Billy Epler calls me up sets up my flight all that at this time we had just moved into a new house in Arizona Uh, my wife was uh pregnant no not pregnant yet sorry and then um so I fly cross country to Tampa and on my flight I got DFA'd so I get Landed in Tampa at the time. You had no internet on the plane or anything like that. So I have countless text messages. So now I'm like, what do I do? So I, I had to stay in a hotel in Tampa for three days until that window ended, and then Oakland claimed me. So I flew back to back to Sacramento to meet the team in AAA, and then actually after opening day of the AAA season, I get DFA'd by Oakland for a catcher that is now still with Oakland, Stephen Vogt, and uh, so he they claimed him from Tampa. So I sat in an extended stay in Oakland for a couple days, and I cleared. So I had to accept my assignment. So I go back to the Rivercats, you know, like day three of the season, and uh, Stephen votes my catcher. When I come into the pitch in the eighth or ninth inning, I'm like, hey, hey you, you,
0: I got DFA'd for you. Nice meeting you. <laughs> but we're best friends to this day, so it was a great story. You know, w- when all these things are happening, and, and you're you feel like maybe your wheels are spinning, and you're wondering, am I ever going to get some traction on the major league roster? What got you through it? I love the game of baseball.
1: You know, you 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 know you have to kind of put in the time and put up good numbers. And at the time in 2012, I didn't put up good numbers at the big league level, so I was hoping for another opportunity. Fortunately, I uh, pitched well enough in AAA, and uh, I had a little bit of good fortune on my side to get called up in mid-June. Um, it was actually a freak accident where uh, another pitcher who was about to get called up, Evan Scribner, had a kind of a freak accident in the dugout in Reno. It was after that 15 or 16 inning game that the A's had with the Yankees where Nate Fryman had the walk-off hit against Mariano. So Oakland needed a relief pitcher to come up and eat some innings the next day. And I ended up getting the call only because Scribner got, you know, a freakish injury in the dugout. And um, I I just wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. And um, it all worked out.
0: 1.38 ERA in 2013 for a team that went back to the postseason. You knew what they did the year before as they got their, you know, they they won the West on the very last day. And then they went on and they won the West again in in 2013. Before we talk about that great postseason – What was that bullpen like, that collection of arms? Because it was such a unique, powerful group that seemed to really intertwine so well. And uh, when you guys got the baseball, if the A's had the lead, it was pretty much, uh, let's get to the spread because it was always such a good job well done. Dan Otero with the 0-1 pitch. Checks the runners. Here it is to Swisher, a tapper, and Otero's got it. Goes to second for one. The relay by Lowry, a double play, and a great job. Fielding is positioned by Otero on a ball that was chopped off the bat of Swisher. It took Otero almost between the mound and first base. He wheeled around, fired to second, Lowry on the bag, and the A's get the inning-ending 1-6-3 double play and the third double play that Otero has gotten tonight. And after five complete, it's still a 3-1 athletics.
1: Yeah, I mean, they obviously dominated the year before in the bullpen at the end of the season. Um, you know, obviously with Balfour at the end, do little and cook were stalwarts down there. Um, so I was just trying to, you know, fit in to be honest with you. And I remember going through some stretches in 13 because we had such an established group in the back end. I think I went like twenty one days one time without throwing and we just was warm up a lot. But it's also a testament to how well Bowmel and Kurt Young handled the pitching staff and communicated with us. Cause nothing was ever a Nothing, nothing was ever a surprise. You know, they would always kind of notify certain people if, you know, if Balfour was down, Doolittle knew he was the closer that day. Or if Cook was down, you know, somebody else knew they were taking his role that day. Um, so you always kind of knew where you stood, which is a great testament to how great of a manager Bowmel is and how much of a great pitching coach Kurt Young was.
0: You're a very angular pitcher. You're long and you're lean, and you've got that power sinker. Describe... How you were finding ways to be successful, not only that year but certainly well beyond that. I'm not sure if power sinker
1: is the right term, since it was average about 90. But I appreciate that. Now the average feel is like 96. It seems like. Um, so I have the the the, the, the deceptive sinker. Um, no, I always kind of knew what kind of pitcher I was. I wasn't going to strike a lot of guys out. I had to rely on soft contact. Um, but I also knew I had to attack guys because I didn't have the I didn't have the ability to walk guys and then get swing and misses to get out of the innings. So I wanted early action. And that's the way the kind of giants preached it in the minor leagues also. So it wasn't a huge change for me. I wanted quick action and trust my defense. And, you know, I feel like the more you, the better tempo you have as a pitcher, the better plays your defense will make because they're always on your toes.
0: So, you go to your first postseason in the big leagues. You know, after all the things you went through, flying cross country and being DFA'd and kind of sitting out there in this fog of wondering if my baseball career is even going to continue. And then it continues at the highest level. And you pitch in four of the five games against the Tigers. And as we all know, the Tigers of previous year uh, were taken to the limit by the A's in five. And it happened again in 2013. Didn't work out the A's way. Burlander again did his thing. But you were so solid. What was that experience like for Dan Otero? Redick Moss and Smith with home runs today for the athletics tomorrow it's Dan Straley and Doug Pfister and for somebody it's going to be an elimination game a swing and a bouncing ball to third picked up by Donaldson throws the first a bit high but pulled down by Moss another ground ball another broken bat for Dan Otero and another zero on the board against the Tigers on to the eighth inning Oakland in front six to three. It was
1: unbelievable. It, it it was all kind of moving really fast. In mid September, uh, my wife and I had our first kid, um, so she flew up for the playoff game. So our daughter got to watch Game Five and fifty five thousand screaming fans in the Coliseum. Um, but it was it was honestly surreal because I remember facing coming in to face Miguel Cabrera in like Game Two. I was like, oh, or Game One. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is really happening. This is the big stage. Uh, but in the moment. As a player, you kind of can able to block it all out. But I do remember how loud that stadium got, you know, when I was sitting in the bullpen and it was such a cool atmosphere and an unbelievable environment. And one I'm very thankful for.
0: In the first game, four up and four down. In game three, six up and six down with two innings of relief. In game four, you strike out Torrey Hunter. And in game five, you get three ground balls. I know a run was scored, but you, you, get, you did what you do, which is get ground balls. And I, I just wonder, as you take a look back on that now and, and being in that moment and try to tell yourself, it, it is, but it isn't just another game. You know, it's this is why you play. This is the things you did in your backyard down in South Florida. How do you look back on the, the way that Dan Otero was able to perform at a high level in the most difficult of times?
1: Oh man, I don't know, probably just the preparation. You know, you, you, you put in all the hard work and, you know, I'm thankful I had, uh parents that pushed me at a young age too so I was able to enjoy the game of baseball and I felt like I was prepared so I feel like whenever you're prepared the moment shouldn't be too big for you and I knew there was a big turning point in that season where I gained some confidence for me personally and it was when I uh, we were we facing the Reds and we had a four-run lead at home And a year prior, the Reds had scored seven runs off me when I was with the Giants. And I remember we had a four-run lead, and usually Mel would always go to Balfour, the closer with a four-run lead in the ninth inning. But he had thrown, I think, three out of four days or two out of three days, so he was trying to give him some rest. And Doolittle and Cook, I think, had already pitched. And he called down and was like, Terry, you're in the game. So four-run lead in the ninth inning, and the batters were, I think, Votto, Frazier, and Bruce. So I was like, oh, okay, This this is... this is happening. Mm-hmm. And I fell behind Vado 3 0. I was like, Oh, this is not good. But I remember I was able to get out of that inning. I came back and got Vado on a ground out, Fraser on a ground out, and I think I struck out Bruce on a changeup and at the to end of the inning. And for some reason that resonated with me because the manager had confidence, put me in a foreign lead, you know, the bullpen had confidence in me and and I was able to really take that confidence and go the rest of the year. So I kind of relied on that moment a lot during the playoffs. So it like, if he had that confidence in me, then, you know, I'm in here for a reason. Um, and then the preparation aspect is another huge component.
0: Yeah. And every player, I think uh, of all the things that they try to put in their, in their pot of what makes me a major league player, what makes me a good major league player, whether it's speed or power or velocity or command pitching uh, to me, one of the most important things, if not the most important is availability. And you appeared in 72 games in 2014. I mean, you were, you're pretty pretty busy. Uh, you had to enjoy that because again, you're you're being asked to to get the call. It was a different year because the A's got out to the fast start and youanus got traded and the the team didn't do what they normally do with a great second half run. You guys had to kind of like hang on for dear life and try to finally get there, which you did on the last day. what what do you remember about fourteen?
1: Oh man, that was, a, that was a that was a long season. I remember Sonny throwing the complete game at the end of the at the end of the season, getting the playoffs. Um, remember Adam Dunn getting his first playoff taste, and that was a really neat thing to be a part of because not everybody has the good fortune of making the playoffs. And you know he put in a lot of time and had a great career. So to see him be able to celebrate was was really remarkable. Um, but yeah, availability is a big thing for a relief pitcher, and one that I didn't take lightly. I wanted to make sure I was available every day and you know i also wanted to be truthful with the coaching staff if i wasn't available cuz if you lie and you're not at your you know 100% or close to it then you're putting your team in jeopardy but you know being able to pitch in that many games was definitely something i took a lot of pride in and one that i didn't take lightly with the work i tried to put in before the games every day
0: you know what the playoff game was like against the royals it was it- In the annals of A's history, while it didn't turn out their way, it's one of the most dynamic games that the A's have ever participated in in October. And it just went back and forth year on at, at the end. And so many things happened leading up to that. And I talked to Brandon Moss about this a few weeks ago. He said, you know what? Whoever won that game was going to go to the World Series. That's the way we felt, even though it was the wild card game. Because you just felt like there was so much back and forth and so much momentum that was going to be springboarding whoever won that game uh, to the next level and beyond. What what do you take in in that regard from the from that wild card game?
1: Yeah, it still uh, still gives me some nightmares every now and then. But uh, <laughs> no, I think I think Mossy is, is is absolutely correct. I think whoever won that game was going to have a big advantage going to the next series, just because the momentum we're going to be able to carry on. And you know, he obviously hit two big home runs in that game. Um, Kiyaspo had a big hit in the tenth or eleventh inning to give to give us a lead, and then. Um, You know, I wasn't able to make some good, I wasn't able to make a good pitch to Hosmer and he ended up hitting that triple, um, in the bottom of the last inning. Um, so it's, it's something that I still kind of replay in my head, but when you do look back at it from a fan's perspective, it was such a remarkable game and people remember it and they talk about it because that's how you, I think that's how you know how great the game was even though it was shoot almost 10 years ago now. And, uh, I, we, we all wish it ended up differently. Um, I know the wives wish it ended up differently because they were in the stands trying to book flights every which way. And at the end of the, and then at the end of it, the season's over. And it's like, Oh man, it just ended. Oh, so abruptly. Um, that was another thing I remembered is just how quickly the season was just over. And I was driving back there, to my home in Arizona at the time.
0: You got a chance to do something that not everybody gets a chance to do. That's pitch of the world series with Cleveland. Uh, and it was a dynamic series between the Cubs and the Indians. And we talked to Rajay earlier this week, and yeah. he took us through slow motion, one of the greatest swings in the history of the game. Unfortunately, because you guys didn't win, uh, it, it doesn't have quite this the, the spotlight that it deserved, given the moment that it occurred. Uh, everything you had hoped it would be, I would imagine when you got a chance to, to do that and be in the fall classic and facing a team that hadn't won the World Series in a, in a long time. And you were with a team that hadn't won a World Series since 1948
1: yeah no i remember clinching in toronto to get to the world series and it was just like I, we had to pinch ourselves like this is actually happening we won the pennant heading to the world series um and then again it was one of those kind of historical hit series you know I went games he won seven games two franchises that were seeking their first title in a long time i feel like i kept i'm, I'm i was on the losing end of these games and i, I didn't like i didn't don't like that but uh yeah, the swing that Raj had obviously put that, you know, to that stadium almost gave it a probably tore it down with how much the fans were screaming. But yeah, pitching a World Series is every kid's dream. And I remember batting practice of game one, looking around and, you know, you see media members at your regular season games. You see media members at the playoff games. And all of a sudden the World Series happens and there wasn't a piece, a piece of warning track from the right field foul pole all the way down behind home plate to the left field foul pole that wasn't covered with some sort of media member camera video i mean it was unbelievable and you realize oh we're the only game in town right now there's nothing else happening you know so you kind of have to pinch yourself and just really take it all in i tried to absorb that
0: series as much as i could because it was something that you know i dreamt of as a little kid as we wind down our where are they now conversation with dan otero Dan, we talked about early in this conversation, uh, you know, you are you were a 90-mile-an-hour effective sinker ball pitcher, and you know, because you work for MLB, you were in baseball ops with Cleveland, you had teammates that threw 93, 95, 96, and now we see with regularity 98 to 100. Is there a place in the game, in your opinion, for the Dan Otero still to, to cut their path and be effective? in the big leagues the A's are singing with Paul Blackburn who throws you know 91 to 93 and he if you have command you can be successful a lot of people are pushing the, the envelope on talking about throwing as hard as you can with velocity if you can command the baseball and manipulate it in a way that keeps it off the barrel you can have success what's your opinion on moving forward now in today's game and, and, and guys that pitch the way you do can still find their way
1: yeah I mean I, I agree completely I think there's different ways to get outs and at the end of the day i think that's the name of the game is to get outs so if you know who you are as a pitcher you embrace it um and you're able to manipulate the ball and pitch with conviction know what you're doing out there there are numerous different ways to be successful you know adam wainwright's kind of reinvented himself a little bit towards the end of his career also you know he kind of cuts and sinks the ball 89 91 now the you know really good curveball but there are different ways and i think you're going to see a cycle of more of the more of the sinker east west maybe approach guys and front offices at the end of the day are going to put pitchers and elevate pitchers that have success you know so yeah they want swing and miss and they want strikeout rates but if you put up numbers and if you're a pitcher that throws 88 to 91 you're going to get a chance and i just hope that pitchers don't always try to throw as hard as they can because i think it's good for the game to be able to pitch at 85 90 effort level and command it you know it's it's could promote more action and stuff like that on the field so i definitely think there's a place for it i'm hopeful we'll see some more some more uh you know 89 90 mile hour sinker guys but uh i definitely understand why the,
0: the the velo the velo train rolls well dan i can't thank you enough it's been a fun conversation you were one of our favorite guys to talk to all the time you're always a stand-up guy and uh, you you knew what it meant to, to put on the A's uniform and how much that meant to you. And, of course, you went on to some other great things with Cleveland. Best of luck with MLB. Best of luck with Tiffany and the girls down in Miami. And uh, hope to see you again. Thanks for joining us on Where Are They Now.
1: All right, thanks, Vince. Really
0: appreciate it. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.